Chapter 12, Environment, Time, Harmony, and Caution. Question, I now have a better understanding of the potentialities of adversity and failure. You may go ahead now with your description of the next of the seven principles. What is that next principle? Answer, the next principle is environmental influence. Go ahead and describe the working principle of environmental influences as a determining factor in human destinies. Environment consists of all the mental, physical, and physical forces which affect and influence human beings. What connection, if any, is there between environmental influences and hypnotic rhythm? Hypnotic rhythm solidifies and makes permanent the thought habits of human beings. Thought habits are stimulated by environmental influences. In other words, the material on which thoughts are fed comes from one's environment. Thought habits are made permanent by hypnotic rhythm. Question, what is the most important part of one's environment, the part which determines more than all others whether an individual makes positive or negative use of his mind? The most important part of one's environment is that created by his association with others. All people absorb and take over, either consciously or unconsciously, the thought habits of those with whom they associate closely. Question, do you mean by this that constant association with a person whose thought habits are negative influences? Question, do you mean by this that constant association with a person whose thought habits are negative influences one to form negative thought habits? Yes, the law of hypnotic rhythm forces every human being to form thought habits which harmonize with the dominating influences of his environment, particularly that part of his environment created by his association with other minds. Question, then it's important that one select one's close associates with great care. Answer, yes. One's intimate associates should be chosen with as much care as one chooses the food with which he feeds his body, with the object always of associating with people whose dominating thoughts are positive, friendly, and harmonious. Which class of associates has the greatest influence upon one's person? Answer. One's partner in marriage and in the home and one's associates in his occupation. After that come close friends and acquaintances. Casual acquaintances and strangers have but little influence on one. Question. Why does one's partner in marriage have so great an influence upon one's mind? Because the relationship of marriage brings people under the influence of spiritual forces of such weight that they become dominating forces of the mind. How may environmental influences be used to break the grip of hypnotic rhythm? All influences which establish thought habits are given permanency through the law of hypnotic rhythm. One may change the influences of his environment so that the dominating influences are either positive or negative, and the law of hypnotic rhythm will make them permanent unless they are changed through one's habits of thought. Question. Stating this truth in another way, one may submit himself to any environmental influence desired, whether positive or negative, and the law of hypnotic rhythm will make the influence permanent when it assumes the magnitude of thought habit. Is that the way the law works? Answer. That is correct. Be careful of all forces which inspire thought. Those are the forces which constitute environment and determine the nature of one's earthly destiny. Question. What class of people controls their environmental influences? Answer, the non-drifters. All who are victims of the habit of drifting forfeit their power to choose their own environment. They become the victims of every negative influence of their environment.
Is there no way out for the drifter? Is there no method by which he may submit himself to the influence of a positive environment? Yes, there is a way out for drifters. They can stop drifting, take possession of their own minds, and choose an environment which inspires positive thought. This they may accomplish through definiteness of purpose. Question, is that all there is to the act of eliminating the habit of drifting? Is the habit only a state of mind? Answer, drifting is nothing but a negative state of mind, a state of mind conspicuous by its emptiness of purpose. Question, what effective procedure may one follow in establishing an environment most helpful in developing and maintaining positive thought habits? Answer, the most effective of all environments is that which may be created by a friendly alliance of a group of people who will obligate themselves to assist one another in achieving the object of some definite purpose. This sort of an alliance is known as a mastermind. Through its operation, one may associate himself with carefully chosen individuals, each of whom brings to the alliance some knowledge, experience, education, plan, or idea suited to his needs in carrying out the object of his definite purpose. The most successful leaders in all walks of life avail themselves of this sort of made-to-order environmental influence. Outstanding achievement is impossible without the friendly cooperation of others. Stating the truth in another way, Successful people must control their environment, thereby ensuring themselves against the influence of a negative environment. Question. What of people whose duty to relatives makes it impossible for them to avoid the influence of a negative environment? Answer. No human being owes another any degree of duty which robs him of his privilege of building his thought habits in a positive environment. On the other hand, every human being is duty-bound to himself to remove from his environment every influence which even remotely tends to develop negative thought habits. Question. Isn't this a cold-blooded philosophy? Only the strong survive. No one can be strong without removing himself from all influences which develop negative thought habits. Negative thought habits result in the loss of the privilege of self-determination, no matter what or who may cause those habits. Positive thought habits may be controlled by the individual and made to serve his aims and purposes. Negative thought habits control the individual and deprive him of the privilege of self-determination. Question. I deduce from all you have said that those who control the environmental influences out of which their thought habits are built are masters of their earthly destinies and that all others are mastered by earthly destinies. Is that stating the matter correctly? Answer. Perfectly stated. Question. What establishes one's thought habits? Answer. All habits are established because of inherent or acquired desires or motives. That is, habits are begun as the result of some form of definite desire. What takes place in the physical brain while one is forming thought habits? Desires are organized impulses of energy called thoughts. Desires that are mixed with emotional feeling magnetize the brain cells in which they are stored and prepare those cells to be taken over and directed by the law of hypnotic rhythm. When any thought appears in the brain or is created there, it is mixed with keen emotional feeling of desire. The law of hypnotic rhythm begins at once to translate it into its physical counterpart. Dominating thoughts, which are acted upon first by the law of hypnotic rhythm, are those with which are mixed the strongest desires and the most intense feelings. Thought habits are established by the repetition of the same thoughts. Question. 
What are the most impelling basic motives or desires which inspire thought action? Answer. The ten most common motives, those which inspire most of one's thought action, are these. 1. The desire for sex expression and love. 2. The desire for physical food. 3. The desire for spiritual, mental, and physical self-expression. 4. The desire for perpetuation of life after death. 5. The desire for power over others. 6. The desire for material wealth. 7. The desire for knowledge. 8. The desire to imitate others. 9. The desire to excel others. 10. The seven basic fears. These are the dominating motives which inspire the majority of all human endeavors. Question. What about the negative desires such as greed, envy, avarice, jealousy, anger? Are these not expressed more often than any of the positive desires? Answer. All negative desires are nothing but frustrations of positive desires. They're inspired by some form of defeat, failure, or neglect by human beings to adapt themselves to nature's laws in a positive way. Question. That's a new slant on the subject of negative thoughts. If I correctly understand what you have said, all negative thoughts are inspired by one's neglect or failure to adapt oneself harmoniously to nature's laws. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Nature will not tolerate idleness or vacuums of any sort. All space must be, and is, filled with something. Everything in existence, of both a physical and a spiritual nature, must be and is constantly in motion. The human brain is no exception. It was created to receive, organize, specialize, and express the power of thought. When the individual does not use the brain for the expression of positive, creative thoughts, nature fills the vacuum by forcing the brain to act upon negative thoughts. There can be no idleness in the brain. Understand this principle and you will come into a new and important understanding of the part environmental influences take in the lives of human beings. You will better understand also how the law of hypnotic rhythm operates, it being the law which keeps everything and everyone constantly moving through some form of expression of either negative or positive principles. Nature is not interested in morals as such. She is not interested in right and wrong. She is not interested in justice and injustice. She is interested only in forcing everything to express action according to its nature. Question. That's an enlightening interpretation of nature's ways. To whom may I turn for corroboration of your claims? Answer. To men of science, to the philosophers, to all accurate thinkers, lastly to the physical manifestations of nature herself. Nature has no such thing as dead matter. Every atom of matter is constantly in a state of motion. All energy is constantly in motion. There are no dead voids anywhere. Time and space are literally manifestations of motion of such swiftness that it cannot be measured by human beings. Question. Alas, one is forced to the conclusion from what you say that the sources of dependable knowledge are shockingly limited. Answer. The developed sources of knowledge are limited. Every normal adult human brain is a potential gateway to all the knowledge there is throughout the universe. Every normal adult brain has within its mechanism the possibility of direct communication with infinite intelligence, wherein exists all the knowledge that is or can ever be. Question. Your statement leads me to believe that human beings may become all they have attributed to what they call God. Is that what you mean? Answer. 
Through the law of evolution, the human brain is being perfected to communicate at will with infinite intelligence. The perfection will come through organized development of the brain through its adaptation to nature's laws. Time is the factor which will bring perfection. Question. What causes cycles of recurring events such as epidemics of disease, business depressions, wars, and crime waves? Answer. All such epidemics in which great numbers of people are similarly affected are caused by the law of hypnotic rhythm, through which nature consolidates thoughts of a similar nature and causes those thoughts to be expressed through mass action. Question. Then the Great Depression was put into motion because great numbers of people were influenced to release thoughts of fear. Is that correct? Answer. Perfectly. Millions of people were endeavoring to get something for nothing through stock gambling. When they suddenly discovered they had gotten nothing for something, they became frightened, rushed to their banks to draw out their balances, and the panic was on. Through mass thought of millions of minds, all thinking in terms of fear of poverty, the depression was prolonged over a period of years. Question. From what you say, I deduce that nature consolidates the dominating thoughts of people and expresses these thoughts through some form of mass action, such as business depressions, business booms, and so on. Is that correct? Answer. You have the right idea. Question. Let us now take up the next of the seven principles. Go ahead and describe it. The next principle is time, the fourth dimension. What relationship is there between time and the operation of the law of hypnotic rhythm? Time is the law of hypnotic rhythm. The lapse of time required to give permanency to thought habits depends upon the object and the nature of the thoughts. But I understood you to say that the only enduring thing in nature is change. If that is true, then time is constantly changing, rearranging, and recombining all things, including one's thought habits. How then could the law of hypnotic rhythm give permanency to one's thought habits? Answer. Time divides all thought habits into two classes, negative thoughts and positive thoughts. One's individual thoughts are, of course, constantly changing and being recombined to suit the individual's desires. But thoughts do not change from negative to positive, or vice versa, except through voluntary effort on the part of the individual. Time penalizes the individual for all negative thoughts, and rewards him for all positive thoughts according to the nature and purpose of the thoughts. If one's dominating thoughts are negative, time penalizes the individual by building in his mind the habit of negative thinking, and then proceeds to solidify this habit into permanency every second of its existence. Positive thoughts are likewise woven by time into permanent habits. The term permanency, of course, refers to the natural life of the individual. In the strict sense of the term, nothing is permanent. Time converts thought habits into what might be called permanency during the life of the individual. Question. Now I have a better understanding of how time works. What other characteristics has time in connection with the earthly destiny of human beings? Time is nature's seasoning influence through which human experience may be ripened into wisdom. People are not born with wisdom, but they are born with the capacity to think, and they may, through the lapse of time, think their way into wisdom. Do youths ever possess wisdom? Only in very elementary matters. Wisdom comes only through the lapse of time. It cannot be inherited, and it cannot be imparted from one person to another except through the lapse of time. 
Does the lapse of time force an individual to acquire wisdom? No. Wisdom comes only to non-drifters who form positive thought habits as a dominating force in their lives. Drifters and those whose dominating thoughts are negative never acquire wisdom except of a very elementary nature. From what you say, I infer that time is the friend of the person who trains his mind to follow positive thought habits and the enemy of the person who drifts into negative thought habits. Is that correct? That is precisely true. All people can be classified as drifters and non-drifters. Drifters are always at the mercy of the non-drifters, and time makes this relationship permanent. Do you mean that if I drift along through life without definite aim or purpose, the non-drifter may become my master, and time only serves to give the non-drifter a stronger and more permanent grip upon me? That is stating the truth exactly. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to relate yourself to nature's laws so as to make them serve you and the ability to relate yourself to other people so as to gain their harmonious, willing cooperation in helping you to make life yield whatever you demand of it. Then accumulated knowledge is not wisdom? Great heavens, no. If knowledge were wisdom, the achievements of science would not have been converted into implements of destruction. What is needed to convert knowledge into wisdom? Time, plus the desire for wisdom. Wisdom is never thrust upon one. It is acquired, if at all, by positive thinking through voluntary effort. Is it safe for all people to have knowledge? It is never safe for anyone to have extensive knowledge without wisdom. What is the age at which most people who acquire wisdom begin to acquire it? The majority of people who acquire wisdom do so after they've passed the age of 40. Prior to that time, the majority of people are too busy gathering knowledge and organizing it into plans to spend any effort seeking wisdom. What circumstance of life is most apt to lead one to acquire wisdom? Adversity and failure. These are nature's universal languages through which she imparts wisdom to those who are ready to receive it. Do adversity and failure always bring wisdom? No, only to those who are ready for wisdom and have voluntarily sought it. What determines one's readiness to receive wisdom? Time and the nature of one's thought habits. Is newly acquired knowledge the same as time-tested knowledge? No, knowledge tested through the lapse of time always is superior to that which has been newly acquired. Time gives to knowledge definiteness in both quality and quantity and dependability. One never can be sure of knowledge that has not been tested. What is dependable knowledge? It is knowledge which harmonizes with natural law, which means that it is based upon positive thought. Does time modify and alter the values of knowledge? Yes, time modifies and alters all values. That which is accurate knowledge today may become null and void tomorrow because of time's rearrangement of facts and values. Time modifies all human relationships for better or for worse, depending upon the policy through which people relate themselves to one another. In the realm of thought, there is a time when it is proper to sow the seeds of thought, and there is a proper time to reap the harvest of those thoughts. 
the same as there is a time to sow and a time to reap from the soil of the earth. Without the proper measurement of time between the sowing and the reaping, nature modifies or withholds the rewards of the sowing. Question. Go ahead now and describe the last two of the seven principles. The next principle is harmony. Throughout nature, one may find evidences that all natural law moves in an orderly manner through the law of harmony. Through the operation of this law, nature forces everything within the range of a given environment to become harmoniously related. Understand this truth, and you will catch a new and a more intriguing vision of the power of environment. You will understand why association with negative minds is fatal to those seeking self-determination. Do you mean that nature voluntarily forces human beings to harmonize with the influences of their environment? Yes, that is true. The law of hypnotic rhythm forces upon every living thing the dominating influences of the environment in which it exists. If nature forces human beings to take on the nature of the environment in which they live, what means of escape are available to people who find themselves in an environment of poverty and failure but desire to escape. They must change their environment or remain poverty-stricken. Nature permits no one to escape the influences of his environment. However, nature, in her abundance of wisdom, has given to every normal human being the privilege of establishing his own mental, spiritual, and physical environment, but once he establishes it, he must become a part of it. This is the inexorable working of the law of harmony. Question. In a business association, for example, who establishes the dominating influence that determines the rhythm of the environment? Answer. The individual or individuals who think and act with definiteness of purpose. Is it as simple as that? Yes. Definiteness of purpose is the starting point from which an individual may establish his own environment. I do not seem to follow your reasoning. The entire world is torn with warfare and business depressions and other forms of strife which represent just about everything except harmony. Nature does not seem to be forcing people to harmonize with one another. How do you explain this inconsistency? There is no inconsistency. The dominating influences of the world are, as you say, negative. Very well, nature is forcing human beings to harmonize with the dominating influences of the world environment. Manifestations of harmony may be either positive or negative. For example, a group of men in prison may, and they generally do, think and act in a negative manner. But nature sees to it that the dominating influence of the prison is impressed upon every individual in it. A group of poverty-stricken people in a tenement house may fight among themselves and apparently resist all forms of harmony, but nature forces each of them to become a part of the dominating influence of the house in which they live. Harmony, in the sense it is here used, means that nature relates everything throughout the universe to every other thing of a similar nature. Negative influences are forced into association with one another, no matter where they may be. Positive influences are just as definitely forced into association with one another. Question. I am beginning to see why successful business leaders are so careful in the choice of their business associates. Men who succeed in any calling usually establish their own environment by surrounding themselves with people who think and act in terms of success. Is that the idea? That is the idea exactly. Observe with profit 
that the one thing all successful men insist upon is harmony among their business associates. Another trait of successful people is that they move with definiteness of purpose and insist upon their associates doing the same. Understand these two truths and you understand the major difference between a Henry Ford and a day laborer. Question. Now tell me about the last of the seven principles. The last principle is caution. Next to the habit of drifting, the most dangerous human trait is the lack of caution. People drift into all sorts of hazardous circumstances because they do not exercise caution by planning the moves they make. The drifter always moves without exercising caution. He acts first and thinks later, if at all. He does not choose his friends. He drifts along and allows people to attach themselves to him on their own terms. He does not choose an occupation. He drifts through school and is glad to get the first job that will give him food and clothing. He invites people to cheat him at trade by neglecting to inform himself of the rules of trade. He invites illness by neglecting to inform himself of the rules of sound health. He invites poverty by neglecting to protect himself against the environmental influences of the poverty-stricken. He invites failure at every step he takes by neglecting to exercise the caution to observe what causes people to fail. He invites fear in all its forms by his lack of caution in examining the causes of fear. He fails in marriage because he neglects to use caution in his choice of a mate, and he uses still less caution in his methods of relating himself to her after marriage. He loses his friends or converts them into enemies by his lack of caution in relating himself to them on the proper basis. Question. Are all people lacking in caution? No, only those who have acquired the habit of drifting. The non-drifter always uses caution. He carefully thinks his plans through before he begins them. He makes allowances for the human frailties of his associates and plans ahead to bridge them. If he sends a messenger on an important mission, he sends someone else to make sure the messenger does not neglect his mission. Then he checks on both of them to be sure his wishes have been fulfilled. He takes nothing for granted where caution provides a way to ensure his success. Isn't overcaution as detrimental as lack of caution? There is no such thing as overcaution. What you call overcaution is an expression of fear. Fear and caution are two entirely different things. Don't people mistake fear for overcaution? Yes, that does sometimes happen, but the majority of people create for themselves far more disastrous hazards by total lack of the habit of caution than by overcaution. In what way may caution be used most advantageously? In the selection of one's associates and in one's method of relating oneself to associates, the reason for this is obvious. One's associates constitute the most important part of one's environment, and environmental influences determine whether one forms the habit of drifting or becomes a non-drifter. The person who exercises due caution in the choice of associates never allows himself to be closely associated with any person who does not bring to him through the association some definite mental, spiritual, or economic benefit. Question. Isn't that method of choosing associates selfish? No, it is sensible and leads to self-determination. It is the desire of every normal person to find material success and happiness. Nothing contributes more to one's success and happiness than carefully chosen associates. Caution in the selection of associates becomes, therefore, the duty of every person who wishes to become happy and successful.
The drifter allows his closest associates to attach themselves to him on their own terms. The non-drifter carefully selects his associates and allows no one to become closely associated with him unless that person contributes some form of helpful influence or bestows some definite benefit. Question. It never occurred to me that caution in the selection of friends had so definite a bearing on one's success or failure. Do all successful people exercise caution in the selection of all their associates, whether in business, social, or professional relationships? Without the exercise of caution in the choice of all associates, no one may be certain of success in any calling. On the other hand, lack of exercise of caution brings almost certain defeat in whatever one undertakes.